Welcome to Figuring Out Families by Magellan Media, where we help make families the best they can be. We're pleased to be joined by marriage counsellor and family expert Derek Boylan for what we are calling the Focus Sessions, aimed at helping families with relationship issues. Together with Derek, over a number of these sessions, we will explore the most pressing issues facing families today. We hope you enjoy and find this series valuable. We're back for part two of Communications in the Focus Session with Derek Boylan. Good to have you back with us, Derek. Yeah, it's good to be back, David. Now, the last session, uh, we looked at the practical aspects of communications. This time, we're talking about the impacts of emotions on family life and communications. Real nitty-gritty stuff, isn't it? It absolutely is. You know, emotions are such powerful drivers and uh, and it's good to sort of have ideas and tips and tools for knowing how to sort of manage emotions and how to communicate about emotions. Right. So when we look at people's emotions, it's, uh, as I said, getting down to the nitty-gritty of life itself. Uh, humans are emotional beings and sometimes the simplest mixed message can lead to a major flare-up. Uh, and it may not be a case of right and wrong. And we did discuss this briefly in the last episode. Perhaps you could expand upon that. Yeah, sure. I guess the tricky things with emotions is that, you know, we, we think of them as good and bad, like some emotions aren't very nice to have. But in a way, emotions aren't right or wrong. They are just a, a neurochemical response that um, that happens to a set of stimuli in our life. You know, something happens, something occurs. Maybe I'm driving down the freeway and someone sort of cuts into my lane without indicating and I slam on the brakes to narrowly avoid, you know, rear-ending them. And I feel irritable. I feel cranky about that. Um, it's not a matter of right or wrong. It's just, uh, it's just what it is. I guess emotions don't have moral consequences in themselves, um, but, uh, but they certainly can be difficult to, to manage. Yeah, exactly. And I, I, I spoke to you off air about uh, the lady next door who uh, slams on the car horn when she's going out and it, it, it tends to last for about 10 seconds and that happens three or four times a day and I could become quite cranky about that. Yeah, absolutely. That's right. And uh, and uh, and I guess it's not a right or wrong thing to feel that way. What we do with those emotions, that probably has some moral content, you know, if we uh, just, right, I'm going to go out there and, you know, tell, give her a piece of my yeah. mind. That might not be a great thing to do. Um, but uh, what we do with our emotions probably is right or wrong sometimes. But uh, but just feeling that way isn't right or wrong. It's, it's interesting no, that's right. how we spend so much effort trying to fix people's emotions. But, um, but really, they are what they are, and, and, and often our emotions are telling us something about our situation. It's, I guess it's internal information. You know, if we're grieving, it's, you know, that it's, it doesn't feel good, but it tells us that we love this person or this situation and we miss them and we have a, a longing in our heart. It's, uh, it's our body's way of trying to tell us something about us. Yes, and I mean, we don't always practice what we preach, but there are occasions where it's better just to sort of take a deep breath before you answer or before you say something you might regret. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, we, uh, you know, the reality is sometimes we just get it wrong. And, uh, and we do that because I guess, um, you know, the root meaning of the word emotion is motion, you know, and it's, uh, and it's, it's, it drives us, it moves us, our emotions, um, you know, they, they get us to, to act and take action. You know, they're designed to, to do that. In fact, actually research uh, on people who have lost um, the capacity to use those parts of their brain that uh, enable them to understand their emotions or connect with their emotions, they actually lose the capacity to make decisions. 
um, because the decisions that we make are driven so strongly by actually how we feel. Um, a really great study that was done found that people who um, can't access their emotions when asked, you know, do you want a nine o'clock appointment or a 10 o'clock appointment? Can't decide which which appointment yeah. that they'd like because their emotions aren't available to them to help guide that decision making. Um, right. So they really do, they do move us and they do drive us. And I guess, um, you know, maturity in relationships means that, you know, we have to sort of take some responsibility for that, for our emotions and what's actually happening and to be able to communicate those things. Yeah. Uh, this might be a slightly difficult question. Uh, communicating, we we do it every day, family, friends, everyone, even the, the local butcher or the fellow in the, uh, you know, the barbers. Why do we sometimes uh, get our messages so wrong? Yeah, absolutely. I think sometimes it's because we actually are, are not in, in touch with our emotions and also because the emotions are, are hidden. I'll give you an example, um, uh, David, so mm. let's just imagine I have a, a really bad day. You know, for whatever reason, the alarm clock doesn't go off in the morning. I'm, I'm running late from uh, uh, to work and uh, and I finally get into work late and someone's called in sick and now I've got to take on their workload. And then I have a meeting mid-morning and it gets completely derailed. And later on in the afternoon, my boss rings and says, Derek, you know, very unhappy about the job that you're doing. And I finally get out of work late. It's pouring down with rain and the traffic's backed up on the freeway and I narrowly avoid an accident and I finally get home. And as I walk through the door... Right as I'm walking through the door, Karen sees me and she says, did you remember to ring David like you said you would today? How do you think that that conversation is likely to go? Probably not well. <laughs> yeah, no, right. That's right. It's probably going to sound like, you know, well, was that important? Why didn't you ring David today? Yeah. yeah. Um, and I guess, you know, that sort of example is actually something I'd, I'd often hear in a counselling room. So uh, one of the questions I'll sometimes ask couples is, you know, can you give me an example? Help me to understand what happens in your relationship. And they will share an example like that. <clears throat> and almost always, the person who gets the blame in a story like that is Karen. You know, yeah. that, uh, that there's because we can see behaviors and we can see, you know, hear words. And we would turn around and kind of most people would sort of say, well, if Karen was a bit nicer when you came through the door, you know, none of this would have uh, happened. However, a big part of my reaction actually has nothing to do with Karen. It's about all the things that I'm carrying inside of me as I walk through the door. And, uh, and so I guess sometimes we get it wrong because, because we don't really realise actually how big a part of our emotions is playing in any given situation, that it's not just what people are doing, it's how I'm feeling about what people are doing as well that makes a big difference. And learning how to talk about those things is really important and that's, uh, I guess that's about maturity. And it helps yeah. people to know how best to respond to us. Right. Yeah, well, that, that's an important point. And sometimes you don't you don't know. I mean, we all wake up different days. Sometimes we bounce out of bed and the the sun is shining and we're as happy as anything. Another day can be grey, cloudy, and we're not so happy. And and that can affect our emotions too. But we might not even be aware of it. Absolutely, and it's affecting our relationships as well. You know, if uh, we we know that if we're working with someone who's just come from home and they've had a massive argument within their family they're a different kind of a person to work with than uh, than someone who, as you just described, just jumped out of bed and they've had a great start to the day and they walked in the door and they're fresh. Um, you know, that, that person's emotions are as much a part of what's happening in that workplace or in their family as anything else that's taking place there. Yeah, no, that, that's exactly right. Not that uh, you're responsible necessarily for other people's emotions, especially perhaps uh, work colleagues, but, um, mm. yeah, if, if they're having a bad day, they, they can 
come on to you in a, in a negative, very negative sense. Exactly. And I think if someone takes some responsibility for their emotions and reports their emotions, what, what's actually going on for them, it helps us to know how best to re- respond to them and how to support them. You know, I kind of think in that work sort of example, you know, if the person sort of said, um, look, I've just had a really bad start to the day and, you know, things didn't go well at home. Well, of course, we're going to have more patience with that person and more compassion with that person uh, rather than them just sort of reacting out of those feelings that they're experiencing. And the same is true in our families, you know, that if we can actually... Uh, identify our feelings, talk about those feelings with people and say, look, I'm having a down day or I'm just feeling really frustrated or feeling a bit overwhelmed at the moment. Um, it helps the people that, who care about us and who love us to know how best to respond to our needs. Um, an example of that would be um, a while back. So we have eight kids, as you know, and uh, yeah. one particular morning we were trying to get out of the house and we had to be somewhere at a very particular time. And, uh, and Karen took our daughter Jordan and uh, to the to our bathroom to just to do her hair. And I was trying to get all the other the kids loaded up into the the car. And I had this sort of experience that I sometimes have in our house, where it's sort of like herding cats. As fast as I could get the, the kids <laughs> into the car, they were getting out again. Like, oh, Dad, I need to get a drink, or I need to go to the toilet, or I forgot my jumper. And my frustration with level was getting higher and higher. I was thinking, we are never going to get out of here. And we have to be here at a very specific deadline. And, yeah. and finally, Karen came out of the bathroom and she sort of, she could see my sort of energy level sort of like rising. And she said to me, what's going on for you? And, uh, and my response to her at the time was, I said, I'm just feeling really angry. Yes. And, uh, and it was interesting because after I said that, the response I got from Karen was kind of a bit frosty. Right, it wasn't the sort of loving support that I was looking for, and uh, and I felt a bit like you know this is not what I need. Like you know I need uh, support here, and uh, and I was a bit mystified by that response from her, and yeah. uh, and then we sort of and so I was thinking about this as we finally got into the car and we pulled out of the driveway, and and what I realised was that when I said that I was feeling angry, I think Karen interpreted that as I was angry with her. You know, that, uh-huh. that she was just off doing Jordan's hair and I was trying to do everything else and I felt irritable with her. But actually, yeah. when I really thought about how I actually felt, I wasn't really feeling angry at all. I used the word angry, but it wasn't true to my real feelings. Actually, how I felt was overwhelmed. Yeah. I felt like I'm trying to pull all these things here together to happen at one specific time and it just seems to be falling through my fingers as fast as I try. Yes. And, uh, and so as we were putting pulling out of the driveway, I said to Karen, you know, when we were in the house and you asked how I was, you know, going and I said angry, I wasn't actually feeling angry. I was feeling overwhelmed. I just couldn't get all the, the boys into the car to get going. And immediately Karen's response was different. You know, immediately her response softened because yes. I guess, you know, when someone that we care about says I'm feeling overwhelmed, our natural response is how do I help? How can I support you? And, um, and that's why actually getting good at understanding our emotions and being able to talk and take responsibility for communicating our emotions is really important. It helps the people who care about us and who love us and who we live with to know how to support us, to know how to respond to, to our needs on any given day. It's a really tough skill to learn and it's really important. Sure. I mean, and anger, uh, when you talk about emotions, anger in itself can be a reasonable emotion. I mean, no one's perfect. We can all get angry at times. It's how you progress from there that's important. If you if you feel angry, um, that's fine, but you don't take it to the nth degree or you don't verbally abuse someone or physically abuse someone. 
Absolutely, I agree. It's uh, you know, anger is uh, sometimes anger can be just sort of a defensive reaction, and and that's not uh, healthy. But genuine anger really is telling us that an injustice has been done. You know, it's saying to me something's not right here, and uh, and it's and it's designed to. I mean, God has given us that emotion. It's it's actually a gift. It doesn't feel very good, but it's a gift to tell us to motivate us to do something. You know, to address an injustice, to sort of speak up and say, "Hang on a minute, what's happening here is not okay. It's not right, and I'd like to do yes. things differently." Mm. Yeah, no, that's right. Uh, Derek uh, Elton John once wrote a song about uh, how difficult it is to say sorry. Uh, a lot of people find it difficult to apologise. Um, how important is it to say sorry when you're wrong? Oh, look, being able to say sorry is actually a really important skill to develop for for maintaining healthy relationships, and it's. And actually, for a lot of people, it's surprisingly hard to do. I know I struggled actually a lot with that in uh, in the early stages of our relationship. Um, Karen is uh, <clears throat> one of those people who is she is the master at raising difficult conversations, and yep. uh, and so she can sometimes raise a conversation in our relationship. And about five minutes later, I realise. I am knee deep in this, and uh, <laughs> how do I get out quick? Yeah. Um, but uh, I remember a very clear conversation that we had, and we'd only been married for about eight months, and um, and it was uh, in the morning. It was breakfast time, and uh, and she waited till literally the spoon was going into my mouth, a spoonful of cereal, so that I, so she get a whole idea out without me interrupting or having any kind of a comeback. And and what she yeah. said to me was, she said, "You know, you never say sorry." And, uh, and it was interesting because I, I sort of, I couldn't believe actually that she was having a, a genuine conversation with me. And I sort of thought, well, what do, what do you mean? <laughs> of course, I would say sorry to someone if I'd, if I'd done the wrong thing. I would give them a sincere yeah. apology. And, uh, and she sort of said, well, no, you don't really. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and I couldn't believe it. And so she just said, she said, well, look, in all honesty then, when was the last time you said sorry to someone? Just pick a time. Anywhere, work, home, family, any time that you can think of that you said sorry to someone and I'll eat my words and admit that you say sorry. Yeah. And I have to say, to my shame, I could not think of one single time. You know, in my <laughs> head, I was the sort of person who could admit when they're wrong and apologize. Yes. But actually, in reality, I wasn't that kind of person. And, uh, and at the time, I actually felt pretty bad about it. I thought, this is not actually the kind of man that I'd like to be or that I'd like, you know, our children to grow into one day and that sure. I actually need to address this. I need to do something about that. And uh, and Karen said something quite interesting at the time. She said, you know, don't take it too badly because your dad and your brother aren't very good at apologising either. And right. so she had sort of picked up that there's kind of a, a family trait, uh, especially among the males in my family, of not being yep. very good at admitting when we're wrong. I think that's often the case. It's not that, you know, when people struggle with apologies, it's not that they're, you know, trying to be intentionally rude or objectionable in their relationships or that they actually even think that they're right all the time. Yeah. Um, it's just that actually saying the words I'm sorry can be quite difficult. Um, you know, for yeah. me, when I felt really bad about something, what I'd do instead was maybe, surprise, I got you some flowers on the way home or how about I do the dishes tonight? I try to make up for it in some way. Yes, but what Karen was saying is actually the words I'm sorry are important. And often they're actually enough to be able to, you know, put things behind us, decide what we're yeah. going to do differently and to sort of move forward and to allow healing to sort of take place in a relationship. But I guess, yeah. David, I think, you know, the reason why a sincere apology is difficult is because, um, you know, in order to give a sincere apology to someone, 
you have to get in touch with some very uncomfortable feelings, very vulnerable feelings. You've got to feel guilty. You've got to feel shame. You've got to feel that you've failed in some way or you've let someone down. And it's much easier when we feel those vulnerable feelings that make us feel weak. It's easy to turn those feelings into defensiveness. It's yes. easier to turn those feelings into reactivity and anger because anger and defensiveness make us feel strong, you know, rather than weak. And, uh, and I guess with an apology, you know, we have to first get in touch with those, those vulnerable feelings, those, you know, weaker feelings. And then yep. we have to make ourselves even more vulnerable by going to that person and saying, you know what, I made a mistake and I want to do better and, uh, and I'm sorry. And, you know, I mean, there's a fear there that that person might throw it back in our face or not accept our apology oh. and that would hurt to do that. Yeah. Um, so I actually think it, you know, a sincere apology often takes a lot of courage, really, uh, for some people to be able to, to do it and to do it sincerely. Um, but it's worth persevering with because it's really healing for relationships. Yeah, no, very good point. Very good point. Uh, Derek, raising children to be responsible citizens is a major responsibility of parents, of course. What would you say to parents who struggle with recalcitrant children, especially in their teenage years? And I suppose there are a lot of recalcitrant teenagers. Yeah, absolutely. I think probably in, in some ways it might describe many teenagers, most of them in a yeah, way. Probably uh, I guess <clears throat> the first thing I think is to be patient. You know, in a funny way, actually, it is a teenager's responsibility to be dissatisfied with being home. You know, their job yeah. is not to stay want to stay at home forever. You know, I think, uh, I think most parents at some point do want their children to become responsible citizens and to be active in the world and to be contributing to making the world a better place and to be independent, um, that it, it would be a problem for them if at the age of 45 they were still living at home and, uh, and you know, <laughs> and relying on mum and dad. And so... Part of actually them claiming that responsibility is to, in a funny way, feel unhappy with being home, feel that at home is not enough for them, that they want to spend time with their friends, that they want to discover who they are, that they want to, um, you know, uh, I guess, you know, push outside of the home space. And so there's, a, there's always going to be a natural tension there as they discover and work out how to do that. And they're in that really tricky transition from being once they were little children up to about the age of 10 they were little tiny kids <clears throat> but mm. now they're moving into that transition to becoming mature independent adults and uh, and there's a lot that has to take place in that <clears throat> a lot of new skills that they need to develop and they're not always going to get it right at the beginning you know so we need to um to be patient i think parents if they recognize that <clears throat> they actually sometimes have more power than they first appreciate Right. Sometimes I think parents feel a bit powerless when it comes to teenagers, but we do actually control a lot of their world, you know, until they have a driver's yes. license. We, you know, if they want to go places, well, mum and dad are the ones who are going to drive them. You know, if they want access to the internet, mum and dad are the ones who are going to give them access to the internet. Um, yes. But, um, that we shouldn't be afraid to, to have boundaries instead of getting caught in reactivity to simply say, look, uh, you want to go and see your friends and you want to be able to access the internet and and to, uh, and, you know, play computer games and things like that. And, you know, we want you to keep your bedroom clean and to contribute to the, the chores that they're doing around the house and to speak civilly, nicely to one another and to your siblings. And, uh, and we want to actually give you these opportunities. You know, I always say to my kids, I want to be able to take you to places. I want you to <clears throat> live a life that's fulfilling and meaningful. Um, but everyone in our home does as well. And so we all need to work together to make that happen. 
And rather sure. than getting caught up in the reactivity, sort of saying, all right, so this is how that's going to happen, you know, that uh, if you keep your room clean, I am perfectly happy to drive you to soccer, right? <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and for those yeah. things to happen. So claiming our own power, you know, having clear boundaries and articulating those, letting, you know, uh, teenagers know what they are. And I think particularly for, um, you know, single parents, this can be a really tough time. Um, David, especially they're trying to sure. put out and place boundaries and rules and, and often their teenagers are saying, well, that's not fair and no one else's family's like that and no one else has to put up with what I have to put up with. And so um, so it's really important for single parents to, to find a lot of adult support in their life. You know, other parents at school maybe or friends or in their parish that, um, that they can sort of run their decisions past, that they can say to someone, look, I'm thinking of doing this, does that sound reasonable? And, uh, and to feel more confident you know, when no one else in their family agrees that they're making the right choices and what's best for their kids. I think that getting that adult support, knowing that someone has my back in this is really important. Sure, sure. Unfortunately, as we know, because we read about it in the papers and in the media just about every day, domestic violence is still a huge issue. How do you deal with a partner who has an anger management problem, Derek? Yeah, Anger is a very tricky emotion. It's uh, it's what psychologists refer to as a, a secondary emotion. So when we're talking about anger now, I guess, David, we're really talking about not just irritability or frustration, but, you know, those moments when a person really sees red, you know, they feel kind of overwhelmed by their anger. And, yeah. uh, and it's called a secondary emotion because, you know, we don't just suddenly sort of walk down the street and then just suddenly spontaneously feel angry, that there are typically a lot of primary emotions um that are going on first. You know, maybe they're tired, they're hungry, they're overwhelmed, they've had a bad day. <clears throat> All these things are happening in inside of them. And then something occurs, which is the the straw that breaks the camel's back. And and then they sort of switch over and they and they become angry. Um, and uh, and when people get really angry, what happens is that the part of their brain, which is their prefrontal cortex, that's the very front part of our brain. It helps to monitor our behavior. It helps us to work through problems, solve problems, and to, to manage difficult situations. That part of our brain gets flooded with electrochemical activity. And so it doesn't work efficiently. It doesn't work effectively. And so most people, when they get really angry, have sort of common traits. The first is that they want to blame an outside source. You know, they want to blame yeah. somebody else for how they feel. I wouldn't make myself feel this way, so it has to be somebody else's fault. And... They're not very good at solution finding. They're not very good at thinking creatively outside of the box because that part of their brain that does that work normally isn't working properly. Yeah. So when we're, I guess when we're responding to a partner or dealing with a partner who has problems with dealing with anger, um, I guess a couple of things that can help. One is to recognize what really is and isn't our responsibility. You know, that uh, that I'm not responsible for all the ways another person feels. I can only take responsibility for, for my actions and the choices that I make. And so not necessarily carrying all the responsibility for the other person's anger uh, and putting in boundaries, uh, making sure that you allow for time out in your relationship. You know, when we reach that level of, of anger, we can't think properly through problems and solutions. It's much better to just actually say, let's just stop and just take some time to sort of calm down and then come back into this conversation. And yeah. typically what research tells us is that most men actually take around about 15 minutes longer than most women to get to the same physiological state to be able to have that conversation. So sometimes I always sort of say to couples, if you take time out, that's great, that's good, that's a good strategy, it protects your relationship, it protects your love for one another. But 
you know, when the wife is ready to come back to that conversation, maybe just give her husband another 15, 20 minutes. Just, you know, just allow just a little bit longer for him to sort of come into the same space to be able to have that conversation. Yes. And, yeah. uh, and I guess the last thing is don't be afraid to get help. You know, lots of people struggle with manage- with that managing angry feelings and, uh, you know, that people aren't alone in working out how to deal with those feelings. And we know a lot about how to help people and support people to find better strategies for dealing with those emotions. And so where, pe- where, where, people, where can people get um, help, uh, Derek? Yeah, sure. Okay, so there's a number of places. And I think, you know, in, a, in an emergency situation where things have really got bad, um, you know, an, an argument has really erupted into, you know, a situation where people are, you know, at a physical risk of harm, you know, the best thing actually to do is call triple zero is actually to get right. support and uh, right there and then in the moment to um, to sort of solve that situation. Obviously, it's not the ideal, but, but we really need to think about the safety of everyone involved. And that's not just the safety of the people who are being hurt. It's the safety of the person who, who's angry as well. Uh, it's actually, uh, you know, it's a tough decision to make, but it's actually a loving decision to make sometimes. Uh, but there are other places and services that can help as well. So 1-800-RESPECT. So it's 1-800-737-732 is a a national 24-hour hotline for people who are struggling with uh, dealing with anger in their homes and managing anger uh, or domestic violence even and looking for support and counselling and advice. And so uh, that's a, a good number to ring just to get a bit of support and to talk through maybe some tricky issues. But if it's more anger on a more general level and you're kind of going, you know, actually our way of handling anger in our home isn't healthy and we need to do something about it, there are plenty of services uh, in Australia that can help. And, and a good place to start is with Catholic care. So Catholic care in most dioceses around Australia, in my diocese it's called Centre Care, but in most yes. of the dioceses it's called Catholic care, is a good place to ring and say, look, we're struggling in our marriage and, and family life um, and it's around anger and do you have some services that can help us to work through and develop better strategies? And, you know, it's a, never a weakness to ask for help. It's always a strength to know when to ask for help. None of us is expected to have all the skills and strategies to solve every life situation. And uh, and so I think it's always a strength to say, you know what, this is a problem and we've been struggling with it for a while and we need to get some help from people. Yeah, yeah, no, that's, that's good sound advice. Now, men in my father's time didn't seem to dig uh, too deep into their emotions. Uh, are things changing with the younger generation? And I think you've got um, some special guests there too uh, uh, who we might be able to um, gauge from them exactly what they think. Yeah, absolutely. I'd be happy to uh, to introduce them <laughs> or let them introduce themselves and some give uh, some uh, thoughts, <laughs> our children. Um, but I think just in relation to your question, um, <clears throat> David, uh you know, it's a, it's a really interesting transition in our culture because, you know, typically we're not very good at talking about feelings in our society. And uh, and it is something I think that we realise is a problem and we're starting to change. And, uh, and certainly I think kids in school these days get a lot more support uh, in being able to talk about feelings than probably ever before in previous generations. Derek, uh, the last question was around um, uh, emotions in my parents' time and uh, I said things are changing with the younger generation or I feel they are. You've got uh, a few special guests there, your end, and uh, your children. Perhaps uh, you could introduce them and they can provide a, a perspective from their generation. Yeah, that'd be terrific. So, guys, do you want to introduce yourselves? Um, yeah, sure. Hi, I'm Jordan mm-hmm. and I'm 14. Uh, hi, I'm Zachariah and I'm 12. And I'm Caleb and I'm 15. Welcome. So, guys, we've uh, over the last couple of sessions, we've been uh, talking a lot about communication and communication in families. And 
we're kind of wondering how important you think that communication is in families. Um, yeah, I think it's um, really important. And uh, yeah, it helps a lot with um, just like getting um, your family to live in a happier environment with each other. So it's very important to communicate, definitely. Uh, yeah, I reckon communication is a big thing. It helps me like kind of get along with my brothers. Like if I know what they want and I know what I want, then it helps. And if I know what's going on, I don't get as frustrated. Yeah. Um, honestly, I think communication creates a better environment for everyone in the family. Like dad, I remember you doing a talk once um, where it's like we, the fa- all the family takes something out of the circle, but we also have to put stuff in so that we never run out of stuff to take out of the circle. Um, and communication can really help with putting stuff back into it. That's pretty interesting, guys. Like, I'm kind of wondering um, what do you find helps when it comes to communication with mum and dad? So, like, you sort of talked a little bit about talking to your brothers and sisters, but when it comes to actually talking to mum and dad about things that are important, what do you find helps from your perspective? Um, probably, like, picking a good time because, like, if your parents are busy, you can't talk to them because they're doing something else and it can distract them a bit. So I think picking a good time is very important when you want to, like, communicate with your parents. Uh, I don't know. I think maybe, like, having, like, a talk, like, because they're good at making time for you. And so, like, maybe if you're, like, in the car with your parents and you're sitting at the front or even at the back, you can just talk to them and, like, they it's easy for them to deal with like your problems and help you find a solution. Well, I think help seeing that I, uh, I live with a lot of kids, there eight of us. Um, Dad and mum um, usually don't have time unless we're in the car um, going somewhere. Um, so usually the odd kids stay up um, to nine o'clock and maybe then is a good time because that way none of the other kids can hear what you're talking to mum and dad about if you don't want them to hear it. And mum and dad can actually spend time with you because it, that the other kids have gone to bed by then. Right. So it's sort of like, you know, there's uh, a lot is happening in the family and getting the right time when mum and dad are sort of available is really important. Is that, have I kind of got that right? Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. What about um, in this particular session, we've been talking about emotions, right? And some, sometimes emotions are, I think you guys probably know, emotions are pretty tricky if you're feeling really angry with someone or you're feeling really sad or you're really frustrated. Um, what do you think helps for kids to talk about some of those things with mum and dad? Um, probably when you're talking to them to like avoid blaming them for stuff and getting angry with them and to stay just like try to stay as calm as possible and um, just like know that they're trying to help you even if you don't see that because you're like angry. Yeah, I think like sometimes when I'm like playing to mom and dad and stuff I kind of like they find a solution but I feel like I don't want that solution I want a different solution so I just go on to like other things like that I don't need to go on to so like I try to keep to one one like topic so that I don't go and try to like complain about everything in my life um one thing that I would say would help me and I'm a kid so I think would help most most people um, uh, um, with their feelings, but with talking to them about their parents, is their parents not to crack jokes or like make funny comments while talking about them? Because then I I usually feel insecure and I'm like, 
well, they just, they think this is a big joke and they're not actually going to help me with this. And so that would make, that usually would make me more angry. And then I'd usually just storm off to my room and deal with it myself, which really isn't the best way to deal with it. It would be the, the best way would be to get mom and dad's help. But if they're cracking jokes while like they're we're talking about it, I don't want to talk about the, about it with them. So I, I kind of feel like that might be a bit pointed at me, Caleb. <laughs> Dad, don't crack jokes. <laughs> okay, I get it. I think I got that one loud and clear. And I, I, and I do hear what you try to say there. I think you're probably right there too. I, I love it. I, th- I love their honesty. <laughs> um, Caleb, Jordan and Zachariah, one more question. What do you think the worst thing parents can do uh, to their children? Um. Probably not respecting their privacy. I mean, it's personally something my parents don't do that often, but I feel like like just like not respecting that they can also deal with their problems even if sometimes they need their parents' help, like sometimes they need to deal with it themselves. Right, as in like kids need to deal sometimes with their own problems without mum and dad interfering. But is that kind of right? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I reckon, like, sometimes when they fight about silly things like the dishwasher and dishes and stuff like that and cleaning the tables and stuff, kind of, like, makes me feel a bit bad. Like, I feel like I should have been doing those things instead. Right, so if mum and dad are having an argument about yeah. you guys doing the dishwashers, right? Um, probably disowning their kid is pretty bad. No, <laughs> <laughs> um, um, no but, um, um, wait, what did you say again, John? Um, I said just like not like, oh, yeah, I was gonna like privacy okay. and stuff. So like, um, not necessarily privacy, but I reckon kids should have more freedom in what they do and not be as sheltered as parents, some parents can make them. I'm homeschooled, so I must be more sheltered than other school kids because school kids go out and interact with um, other kids every single day except for Sundays and Saturdays when they do. I don't know what they do. Anyway, but, um, but like, like I, I feel like um, we should have more freedom in what we do and not have our parents go, I'm um, sorry, actually, no, you're not, you're not allowed to do that. Like if it's something bad, then yes, they can say, they can intervene and go, yeah, sorry, no, you're, never do- you're not doing that. But I also think that kids should learn that stuff, like certain stuff is wrong and they should build off that and they should go, oh, that is, I shouldn't do that again because that hurt my arm or whatever, or that hurt my feelings and I shouldn't go into that situation again. Right. So instead of sort of sometimes always protecting their kids, maybe except that sometimes their kids are going to make mistakes and that's mm-hmm. how they're going to learn as yeah. well. Yeah. Thanks guys. I really appreciate mm-hmm. your time. That was great. Thanks for having us. Thank you for having us, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, well done. Well done. Derek, that brings us uh, to the end of uh, the communications focus number two. Uh, Thanks for that. And thank you also to your children, Caleb, Jordan and Zachariah. Our next focus session is going to be on love maps, which is of personal interest to me because I've said a few times I have no idea what love maps is all about. Perhaps you could give us a, a bit of a heads up. Yeah, Love Maps is a really interesting development in, uh, in recent neuroscience, and it's about how we 
learn to relate to the people that we love and uh, and how we can, I guess, relate to them in a better way, in a more fulfilling way that, that addresses their needs as well as ours. It's about how we work out what's really going on inside the mind of someone that we care about. Sounds fascinating. I can't wait to talk to you about it. Thanks very much, Derek. You're welcome.